Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Good to be with you. Our theme today is reversing one of the most unbiblical, disempowering things pastors commonly say. And actually, it's not just things pastors commonly say, uh, but also there's a number of things that I'm going to mention here at the beginning of the message I'm going to share with you that people say in our churches that really is very disempowering and unbiblical. So language... Uh, that we use uh, reflects our theology and language very much creates culture. That's why it's so important. So uh, our our goal, one of our goals in in EH Discipleship uh, in the development of the courses that we did over the years was to shift culture uh, in the new family of Jesus and provide a theology that deeply changes lives and and an experience of that theology so that people get equipped shaped and then bring that out into their homes, their workplace, their neighborhoods, uh, and function as salt and light, you know, for Jesus. Now, one of the gifts uh, in the happening right now, I believe, in the church uh, through this uh, life-changing season we're in through COVID-19 and the global pandemic is it opens us up to uh, perhaps hear some truths from Scripture, some fresh ways of hearing, you know, God's Word that maybe we've not been open to seeing or hearing before. Uh, and one of the thrusts, I believe, has to do with we've had a focus on gathering people in, into our churches, again, having a full room, uh, feeling like there's lots of people here on a weekend or a Sunday, uh, versus sending people out and people coming in to get equipped to be sent out, to be scattered for the sake of Christ. And the emphasis of, of commissioning to go out uh, and, and really def- redefining success more biblically from a full room to ascending commissioning is, is really, as you'll see in just a few moments, and hopefully you have in these last couple of weeks, is really critical for the church to be the church. I often talk about five, uh, about the six characteristics or qualities of an emotionally healthy church culture that deeply changes lives. And um, and we talk about the first five a lot. A slow down spirituality, integrity and leadership, beneath the surface discipleship, healthy community, and passionate marriages and singleness. But it's only now in these last couple of weeks that we've been talking about the sixth quality of a church culture that deeply changes lives. And that is that every person is in full-time ministry. Every person has got a sense that I am in full-time ministry for Christ. Uh, And that's why I'm so passionate uh, for this little mini-series we're doing in the middle of the podcast here. So I want to invite you actually to go check out that uh, free ebook, that emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And it's called Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision that deeply changes lives. If you've never read that ebook, please download it and look at it. It's very important. And we are really unpacking that sixth quality or characteristic or of that vision of a church or ministry or community that deeply changes lives. And that is every person in full-time ministry. So today I'm going to share in this podcast a message from 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 4, 24, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and in particular to slaves in that church. Now, talk about the worst job in the Roman Empire, it would be slaves. In fact, scholars estimate that one-third of Corinth uh, was made up of slaves. So how do you how do you equip them? How do you counsel them? Now, Paul does this here in, in this text. He fills them with vision, a sense of sentness and calling and purpose. He gives a large uh, theology of work and calling. And so this is going to build on what I've shared the last two podcasts. And again, it's called reversing one of the most unbiblical, disempowering things pastors and people in our churches commonly say. So I pray that 
uh, this message will uh, change you uh, as it did me. And, uh, and this whole theology of work and calling will forever shift the way you understand your own life and those around you. So enjoy. All right, please go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 17. For thousands of years, uh, people believed that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun revolved around the earth. And then came along a guy named Copernicus and this Polish scientist in the 1500s and followed by Galileo. And they said, no, that's not true. Uh, the earth actually revolves around the sun and the earth is a little speck in this vast universe uh, of solar systems. And it was such a shift uh, that uh, they, they were condemned as heretics uh, by the church and by society at large. Uh, but eventually it became true, it became clear that it was true that all the data pointed to the fact that the earth is just a speck in this big vast universe. And uh, uh, all the information that began to come in at that point on from science and physics was seen differently. But that shift in seeing the world is called a paradigm shift. It's a lens of seeing reality. It's called a Copernican revolution is the word that's often used. And, and it's a new way of looking at life. It's a new way of looking at yourself and how you think, see, and feel about stuff. And so in the same way, it's a great image because that Copernican revolution that the earth is not flat, the earth is a speck in the universe, uh, is really what we're talking about here in this series called your life, your calling, and your work. Because when you get this, uh, and uh, if we can get it, it is a revolution in the way that we see ourselves, in the way that we see our work, the way we see our whole lives. Uh, it ignites something in us that, I don't know what else to say, but it's, it's just, it's, it overthrows everything of how we've lived. Now, most of us see our work like this. We go to work on Monday and we're bored, and then we go on Tuesday and we're bored, and we go on Wednesday and Thursday and we're still bored. And we go on Friday and we're bored, and Saturday we're bored, but we watch TV. And then on Sunday, we watch a little more TV. Maybe you pop in church. And the Monday, you're back to work. And there's basically, like, there's, there's no sense of calling. There's no sense of purpose or, or vision. I just do what I got to do. And, uh, and, so, and then you mix that in with the whole church culture. And so, then, and so you end up accepting things that are untrue as true. But you see, if you can get this thing of your life and your calling uh, and your work, you, you, you will stop people when they say nutty things, such as this. Someone says to you, I don't know, the Christians, I don't know my calling. That's going to sound as absurd to you as them saying the earth is flat. Or if someone says to you, I'm just working this job, I'm really waiting for my calling. That's going to sound as absurd to you as if they said the earth is flat. Or if someone says to you, I work so I can do what I want on weekends. That's going to sound as absurd to you as them saying the earth is flat. Or someone says, I was called into full-time ministry, uh, and now I'm going overseas as a missionary. or I'm going to be a pastor. That's going to sound as absurd to you as them saying the earth is flat. Or someone says, whatever was my calling in life, I don't know, but I missed it. That's going to sound so absurd as if they're saying the earth is flat. And finally, if someone says, you know, I'm working, I'm making a lot of money, so I can eventually serve God and hopefully do some really meaningful work with my life. Uh, that's going to sound as absurd to you as if they said the earth is flat. So, so really, our text this morning, Paul is writing to a church, and he's trying to 
much like Copernicus and Galileo, he's trying to get these slave Christians, they're Christians, but they work as slaves, he's trying to get, for them to get this revolution, this, this way of seeing the world that's true, but it's so different than everything they've been exposed to in their pre-spirituality, before they came to Christ, exposed to you know, Plato, etc., and all the other religions of that day, and uh, it's seeing themselves differently. And so before I read the text, there's two truths we've been talking about, and Paul's trying to get this to them. The first is that every Christian is fully called. In fact, the word church, you're in church right now. I mean, church is, is refers to called out ones. That's literally what it means in the original language. This is a community, a gathering of people who have been called. They've been called out of the world to Christ for a purpose. And so if you've come to Christ, you are a called out one from a personal God who's called you by name for his specific purpose for your life. And, and just like he called Abraham and Moses and Gideon, so he has called Joe and Susie and Harry. Okay, He has called you by name. Every Christian, to be a Christian, is called, fully called. And then secondly, we've talked about how your calling is your whole life in the last two weeks. And, and uh, that all of your life is holy. All of it's sacred. All of it is spiritual. And uh, as we went again, all the areas of your life is holy, and you name it, whether it's your personal life, your family life, your civic political life, your, your work, your occupation, your neighborhood, involvement in church, it's all your calling. There's no segment of your life that's not spiritual. So we use this phrase, and this is a phrase I want you to get into your bones. As you say to yourself, as someone said to me after first service, I am retiring in six days. So you say, I am, re- I am in full-time ministry, and I am retired. Or I am in full-time ministry, and I am a dentist. Or I am in full-time ministry, and I am a student. I am in full-time ministry, and I am in finance. Or I'm in full-time ministry, and I work in the law field. Or I'm in full-time ministry, and I am a receptionist. And we can go on and on and on. But the point is that I understand myself. I'm called, and I am full-time. Okay, ministry is the word for service. I am in full-time ministry for Christ, and uh, it's my entire life. That's been the thrust of the last two weeks. And, and, and uh, in fact, last week we, we began building on this fact that from Genesis chapter 1, that God is a worker. And uh, he works and creates the universe, and then he rests from his work, and he says this is very good. He declares work as good. In the same way, you are made in God's image. And part of being an image bearer of God is that you too are a worker. We are called to work, paid or non-paid, and to do. And it's part of being fully human. And so if you were not here last week, you know, get that tape and listen to it. But I want to build on it because it was so important. And I want to talk to you about, I'm going to call today's message, The First Commission. That's the title. The First Commission. Now, there's actually, there's two commissions in the Bible. There's what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, And then there's what's called in Genesis 1, uh, it's got a theological name to it, the Cultural Commission. But we're we're going to simply call them, the First Commission is in Genesis 1 and 2, and the Second Commission is in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. But the Great Commission is really never called the Great Commission. It's really the Second Commission. They're both equally in force, and we're called to live them both out. The First Commission of Genesis and the Second Commission of, of, uh, that Jesus left us in Matthew 28 to make disciples. But I want to focus on the First Commission. That's the one that so few of us understand and grasp, and, uh, and it does such damage to our lives. But Paul knows that if these Christians in, in Corinth, that we're going to read this text, if they could get this, that the earth is not flat, they get this, it will change everything for them. And uh, so let's begin reading in, in verse uh, 17. Now just remember, you spend at work, if you work, you, the average North American spends 88,000 hours of their life at work, but you'll spend 4,000 hours of your life at church. So you would better get some discipleship on what does it mean to follow Jesus at your workplace. So that's where you're spending the great bulk of your time. 
And that's what's going on here for Paul here in, in, in Corinthians. So let's, let's read, beginning of verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Now, as we read it, you're going to see eight or nine times the word calling. Okay, so you want to underline that word. Remember, calling means vocation, but calling, 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 calling. He's trying to drive something home to these uh, Corinthians. Verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. The word called. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become, uns become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is, is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation to which which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Ah, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do it. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man is respons as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him to. All right, now here's what's going on here in, Corinthians, in, in Corinth. Corinth is a big city, big metropolis, much like New York or Las Vegas. And what happened, the church exploded there, and people got superficially very spiritual. Folks started, I mean, visions, dreams, revelation, prophecy, healing, miracles. People spoke in the tongues of angels. They had phenomenal meetings. People were dramatically transformed by Christ. And uh, all I can say was the anointings were so great that people just loved being together and gathering as a church. And uh, they began to experience the, 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 the God's power in churches as they gathered together. And they bought into what we talked about last week, last two weeks, that God's world is split into two parts. I've got my spiritual part, which is, you know, things related to God and the Spirit and Bible study and spoke of. This is wonderful. It's worthy. It's everlasting work. But then you got the secular work. And in this case, you got folks who were slaves. And actually, folks who were even married and and folks were leaving their marriages because so unspiritual, having sex, forget sexuality, and people not want to do their jobs anymore either uh, because they were into, into God. They were on fire for Jesus. Uh, in fact, Corinth had about 300,000 people. They estimate 100,000 were slaves. So we, we know that in that church in Corinth was, was a good group of slaves. And so here in this case, just like people who are married were starting to leave their spouses because they were so into Jesus, you had slaves now saying, I'm not doing my job either. So I don't know, what's, what's the worst job you can think of? Don't say it out loud. Maybe somebody's job in here. But think of the worst job in the church that anyone could have. The slaves have the worst job, a job that you would hate the most. And, um, and they have compartmentalized that job in the fact that this has nothing to do with God. Uh, if anything's unspiritual, it's this. It's a whole, the whole system's oppressive. And so Paul writes to them. He's trying to straighten them out. And, and he wants them, he's trying to get them to see, no, no, wait a second. God's world is one. And all of it's spiritual, we talked about earlier. And the whole package, whether you're at home with your family or you're at work or you're at church, it's all spiritual, it's all worthy, and it's all holy. And so he knows if the slaves can understand the first commission, because what Paul's doing here is he's applying Genesis 1 and 2. Last week's sermon, and I'm going to expound on it more. He's taking that, Genesis 1 and 2, and he says, listen, Christ has now through the cross and the resurrection, he has restored work to its original intention. And he wants them to get a vision that they're in full-time ministry for Christ and that all of their life is holy. He wants them to grab it. And because 
he knows, just like in today, there's two tendencies of Christians at work. Not that it applies to anybody here. But some folks go to work and they have an attitude because they're super spiritual. And they think how fortunate this workplace is to have me. And they turn people off with their attitude of superiority and pride. You know those people, don't you? They go to the church somewhere else, another town. <laughs> and the other extreme, you got people who go to work, like in the cartoon we just saw, that they don't see any connection of spirituality and work. And I just, I bear it, and then it's done. And so what Paul's doing here is he's trying to redo them. He says, listen, eight times, at your, when you became a Christian, if you've not come to Christ, I want to encourage you to come to Christ today because he's inviting you. When you respond to that invitation to become a Christian, you respond to a call. You are called at that moment. And Paul speaks over and over again about the time you were called. And what he's saying is, when you became a Christian and received Christ, that was your calling. Your whole life from that point on, you are called. And don't you sense that down deep in your spirit? Yeah, yeah. You're called a full-time ministry in all of life. Your, your life has enormous importance and significance. You're not just anybody. Personally, by name, Christ died. He rose again. He sent the Spirit to you, and you are called, and your life has significance. And he's saying to these Corinthians, you got it. And uh, so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm senior pastor at New Life right now. And that's a role, right, it, it, I, that uh, I, I function in. But my calling came at the moment I received Christ at the age of 19. I was called by Christ. After that, I taught high school English for a year. I went back to school. I did, but my calling never changed in the sense of it was always called by Jesus. And in fact, even at this stage of my life, I'm pastoring here, it's still unfolding. I'm doing some writing now. I'm doing some other speaking. But your calling unfolds your entire life as you grow and go through seasons and stages of life. But that calling I have is no different or more important than your calling that God's put on your life. And he wants you to know that you are called. To full-time ministry, just like I'm doing right now vocationally. And so Paul's saying to these slaves, listen, don't quit being a slave. In fact, he's saying to them, each one, he says three times, each one should remain in the place to which God's called him. And Paul's saying, it doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried, because some people are leaving their marriages. He goes, it doesn't matter if you're in business or unemployed, slave or free. The issue is who you are. Who you are is called. And you're in a full-time ministry. And uh, that's your first identity. And to find your identity in anything else beyond that, first is like rearranges the chairs on the Titanic. Okay, it's taking you nowhere. And uh, in fact, he says, if you don't like your job, hey, you don't like being a slave, get out. In fact, not all slave jobs were bad in that day. But he goes, you want to get out and you can get out, leave your job and go do something else. So, say you're in finance, you say, I don't want to do finance, I want to, be, I want to do social work. Paul says, go ahead. Work out your calling there. You're in social work, you want to go in investment banking, Paul says, go ahead. You want to go back to school and get a master's degree and change professions, Paul says, go ahead. Because you're still called wherever you go. And that's really of secondary importance. The first issue is you are called by God in full-time ministry. And uh, so, so, again, what happened in verse 14 15, if you look in that text, is Paul says, you know, you know you're at work sometimes and you feel like your, your, your job is contaminating your spirituality. It's like it's killing your walk with God. And you say, i got to get out of here. And, and, and just like some people were saying in Corinth, I'm married to this, this person, my husband, or my wife, and she's not a Christian. She's, she's messing me up. And they were leaving the marriages. Husbands were leaving non-Christian wives, and wives were leaving non-Christian husbands. And so Paul writes in verse 14 and 15, he says, don't you get it? They don't contaminate you. Wherever you go into the mess of things, you actually, he uses the word, you sanctify it. You actually bring power and blessing to that place, wherever you go. 
So it's not that work is going to overwhelm you. Paul says, I want you to understand something. You're called and sent by God. The Holy Spirit's in you. And the place where you go is now receiving actually a blessing. It's kind of an interesting word. It's sanctified. It's, it gets holy. It gets blessed. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So don't you be afraid of being contaminated, evil as it may be, Paul says. Because I put you there, and they're going to get a blessing by just you being in that place. And uh, so Paul understands the first commission, which is our title here. Now, before I go into um, what I want to do this morning is I want to expound on what does it mean to walk this out? This first commission, not the second commission, a great commission, which is go make you know, disciples of all nations. You're at work. And maybe like your slaves could not share the gospel probably in most of their workplaces. And some of you, you're in workplaces where you're not able to share freely you know, the gospel, but your work has enormous value and enormous importance. And uh, I like w- w- one book I read by a, a sales manager from Bethlehem Steel. He'd been there 32 years. And uh, here's what he wrote about being a Christian and being in business. And I think it's the case with many, many of us uh, in the body of Christ. He wrote this. His name was William Deal. My Sunday experience had no connection to my Monday world. The words I heard from the pulpit made no sense to my weekday world. So he writes this. So the verse, the last will be first and the first last. He says, yet I was out there as a salesperson trying to get sales, competing with other aggressive salespeople. Should I as a Christian then let them get ahead of me and take my clients? I would be out of work in a couple of weeks. Or customers not paying the bills. How long should I keep this up? 70 times 7? We'll have no business left. I heard I'm supposed to be a witness for the world. How am I supposed to do that? Should I tell my coworkers what the sermon was on yesterday? Should I hand out leaflets in the corridors? How do I tell people a gospel about grace when everything is based on works and merit? Great comment, isn't it? But it's just the connection. I think many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, so what I want to do is I want you to get a piece of paper out. And I want you to, if you're not taking notes, it's good to take notes in a sermon, you know? So you remember something. And, and I'm going to give you four points about what it looks like to, to engage in what's called the first commission, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, as a worker in God's image. And I want to fill out last week's sermon. So there's going to be four elements to that workplace. And I'm going to ask you to write them down. And when you go to work tomorrow, even if you're an at-home mom or at-home dad or you're unemployed, whatever you're going to be engaged in tomorrow, that you take this little piece of paper and put it on your desk. And you're going to say, oh God, what is it going to look like for me to walk this thing out at my workplace tomorrow? Okay? So here's the first work to which you're called to, and I'm called to. It's called Simply communion with God. Uh, that is, we are called at work to be aware of him all through the day. To be aware and remembering this relationship I have with the living God. It's called communion. It's, it's, it's relating. It's, and so, as you know, it's, it's easy to say a prayer in the morning, right? And then you go to work and you're like, by 3, 4 o'clock, you're like, you haven't... God, who? I mean, you're just doing work. But there's no consciousness or awareness of God. And so part of your work is to be in communion with him while you work. That's the great goal, practicing the presence of God all through the day. Now, uh, it's not easy to do, is it? To recollect and remember him when you're doing. And that's actually why we created the daily office. Really, it was to get you to stop. Offices were saying, not just stop in the morning, but midday, to actually pause for a few minutes 
and, and be silent before and maybe read some scripture just to remember God so that you're aware and communing with him through the rest of the day. Friends, this is hard to do. That's why Sabbath once a week for 24 hours is part of that rhythm in your life. How do we create rhythms? Friends, that's the whole purpose of this rule of life that we've crafted our, 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 our church around. Is if you'll notice, there's four categories. Prayer and rest are the first two to get us to slow down, to embrace silence somehow so that we're communing with God, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in a small group, not just in my you know, devotional time. I'm actually communing with God. He is my life. That takes growth. It takes community. That's why we're all in this thing together. So we can say like, you know, David, I, I love the house where you live. But the reason I keep bringing up monks and Carthusians and hermits and desert fathers is because I know how difficult this is to do for all of us, including myself, to be in communion with him. And that's my first work to be out of which I, I do. But that's number one. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But that praying always awareness is what keeps me from ever getting too wrapped up in my doing at the expense of, of my relationship. Okay, so the question is, how will you remember God as you go to work tomorrow? How will you remember God while you are working? How, how will you do that? That's the question you have to ask yourself. What do you need? What can you do to build in remembering God at your workplace? It's going to be different for each one of us. I know offices are a big help, but you may know what will work for you. Music, who knows? A, a beep going off. I leave that with you. But I want to move on to number two. The second is, you're called by God at your workplace to create and shape. Now, this obviously flows out of last week's message from Genesis 1.28. God says to Adam and Eve and our first parents, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And we talked about how those words can be translated in Hebrew to, we're called to create, and we're called to shape. Just like the earth was formless and void and chaotic, God took the earth and he began to create and work and bring shape and order and beauty to it. In the same way, we're image bearers, we're called to do the same. Uh, so, so we work. You don't work tomorrow to just make money. Now, making money is good, and I hope you make a lot of it. God bless you. But you don't work just to make money. Uh, you are stewarding resources that belong to somebody else, regardless of your field. So you may, you may, you, you're, you may work for a boss in a, in a small company or a large corporation. You are stewarding their resources. You may work for the city of New York. You're stewarding our tax dollars, Okay. Or the government, you're, you're, you're stewarding others' resources. You're protecting those resources. You're taking care of them. You're making them useful to create something. And you're accountable to God for the well-being of that organization or the well-being of that school. And you're serving your neighbor through providing some goods and, and services. That, that, that's business. And so business is really a way that we love our neighbors directly or indirectly. And work in and of itself, if you, understand, if you understand the first commission, work, even if you can't share the gospel at your job and talk to people about Christ, work is intrinsically good because God's a worker and you're a worker. We often think of tent makers, right? A person's going to tent make. What that means is they're going to work a job, make money so they can support evangelism efforts. The very notion of that tent making is really, it's not biblical. It doesn't capture the first commission. No, but the very fact that you're working, it is good. It's not just to support other efforts, to support the church and evangelism. No, I work because I'm made to work to create and shape in, in whatever I do. So Christians, we are put in positions to help restore the world in the way it was meant to be. So just so you know, most of the heroes in the Bible, they had secular vocations. People like Abraham, he kind of worked in real estate. Jacob, 
was a rancher. Remember? David was prime minister of present-day Iraq. Nebuchadnezzar. Esther, she was in the beauty contest business. She did well. Joshua was a military man. David was an artist and a a musician. And and so really, I can go down a list. If you start thinking about most of the biblical heroes that we love and admire were in secular vocations. And uh, Joseph, just think of Joseph with me for a minute. In in Genesis 37 to 50, a lot of space is given to Joseph. Joseph had a high government job. And he was in a government, a pharaoh, which was completely pagan and idolatrous. They weren't even close. They, They believed they were God. Talk about egomaniacs. The pharaoh considered himself divine. And he, Joseph worked for that guy. I think you have problems, all right? So imagine, here's Joseph. He's a believer. You know what we would do to Joseph? We'd say, Joseph, hey, you're out here working for that pharaoh. You know what? You ought to quit that job and go do something really significant, probably in the church. Work for me. Or you're in the wrong place working for that pagan pharaoh. You make, no, you've made a lot of money. You know what? Quit this job and go do something meaningful for your life. Like working with a better class of people. Like us. But see, Joseph, he wasn't called to church work. God sent him to work for that secular, heathen pharaoh king. And Joseph had a deep sense of his brothers. He said, you didn't send me here as a slave. God sent me. Tremendous thing of Joseph. And, uh, but he wasn't directly doing evangelism, if you think about it. He wasn't directly doing ev- discipleship and teaching classes, but he was serving the needs of others, and he was working for an organization that was a profit-making institution. Pharaoh was making money for himself. And he was fine, serving God, one of our great heroes. I like what one CEO wrote in uh, a Christian, he complained, he says, you know, most of us are called to regular places to sell groceries, make electricity, and we're serving people through these organizations but sad, he says, the church never celebrated me. I've never been in a church that actually commissions the rest of us to our workplace. Joseph had a deep sense of being sent by God, and he called, God calls it the same thing. If you wonder about, is my work inferior to like, wow, quote, people who do it, you know, professional Christian workers, I want you to think about Jesus for a minute with me. Jesus was a carpenter, right? But really, in, in the original language, he, he was a builder, there was wood around in, in first century Palestine, but wood was used only for the very wealthy. Most of the building work was done with mason, was done with stone. They were masons. So Jesus was in the construction field. He was the eldest son of a two-parent family that had a business, and they had a home. Jesus probably spent 75 to 80% of his working life making money to support his family do you ever think about the fact that he sold a product? He, people come in for business. I want you to build this house for me or this fence. Do you realize that probably most people did not believe he was the Messiah? Probably not all were Jews either. Uh, but Jesus was immersed in business and culture. Most scholars believe he was either lower middle class, but probably middle class. And business, being a businessman was actually part of his true perfection as a human being. And then he eventually transitioned and did this unpaid work for a while, which ended up in crucifixion. So what are you going to do? You know? but, and he rose from the dead. But it's interesting how Jesus was in no hurry to begin the second, his second career at the end of his life. But really, most of his life, he was, just, he was a business guy in construction. 
creating and shaping. And so, so as you go to work tomorrow, you want to commune with God, and then you want to create and shape. You want to ask God, how can I create and shape here like Christ? But then thirdly, I'm called to build community. And the C may help you, but there's a community aspect to this. That every, like Adam and Eve were called to, 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 to fill the earth, and they, they created community between themselves, and then had children. They would create community on the earth. We too were imaged by God to create community, just like the Trinity is in communion, in community. So, for example, as someone said to me last week, oh, Pete, you don't know, I, I work for the city. I've got 100 employees reporting to me, and they, work, they have a union behind them, and nobody wants to work. They hate me because I'm trying to get them to work. What am I, you think I'm in full, you're telling me I'm in full-time ministry? You've got to be kidding. At which I said, hmm, yes, yes, you are. And you're called to actually be in that place and to actually build community at that department in New York City and also get my, some money's worth for my taxes. So what that means is, is you know, whether, whether it's staff meetings, whether it's interacting with annoying people, whether it's resolving conflicts, what it means is that we are in our workplaces sent by God in full-time ministry. We don't participate in gossip. We don't participate in put-downs or slander. People naturally expect us to agree with them as they do unhealthy things. We don't do triangles either. So you know someone says, Bush is leaving Tuesday. I hate that guy. And they expect you to say, yeah. And you say, and you're going to say, well, no, I don't hate George Bush. Okay. I pray for him. He's my president. I may not agree with some of his policies. But you see, we're sent by God in full-time ministry. We don't hate anybody. And so we actually, the way we even engage in that we're building a sense of community and uh, we're creating a culture that has some seeds of the kingdom of God. A culture that actually is honest, affirms people, gives hope, releases talents. Let me tell you a little story. It's a true story. Someone in our church that happened. She's a teacher. And uh, the, the student was complained about the class to his mother. His mother calls the principal. The principal calls a meeting with the mother and the student to basically rail out this teacher. Okay, teacher attends our church. And about all the complaints about the class. So imagine, now, in, you know, it's called a union, right? Let's get the union in this thing, right? It's going, to be, it's going to be a war here. But the teacher goes in, and uh, so uh, this teacher, fortunately, had learned some good skills at New Life. And so as the meeting progresses, begins to get, you know, take some shots right at the top from the mom, you know, and from the kid. And, uh, but the, 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 the teacher is not defensive. She's listening. She asks probing questions. She fights fairly. She doesn't get tied up in their anger and accusations. And what happens is the issue just, by the time she was done, the issue just dissolved. It was just like over. And the principal looks at her and said, where did you get this? What, what, who are, where did you get all this? Because the principal is ready for a full-scale war. And obviously, she got some equipping and training to build community in that school versus division and chaos. Now, obviously, she'd gotten equipped and trained. That's why you're here at church. Do you realize you're here at New Life and you're part of a local family to get equipped so you can go into your workplace and build community? Because otherwise, you'll do it just like everybody else. You're part of the division. You're part of the chaos going on in that place. But God has called you by name and put you there as a full-time ministry to actually get mature and grow up. And so even if you're not in charge, and many of you are not in charge of staff meetings, and some, it was so funny, on the way out first service, I said, he'll tell me about things that happen at staff meetings so inappropriately said and said, what am I supposed to do when this person says this? And I'm one, the dagger was coming right at me, not me and three, four other employees. 
And that's exactly right. That's the great, these are great questions, and the Holy Spirit will guide us, but we need the skills and the training to begin to walk it out, because we are called by God as well to build community. Wherever workplace he sends us to, we're salt and light. Because why? You're called into full-time ministry. I just love that story. But there's one last thing that's going to happen here, because it's hard. It's very hard to do. So I'm communing with God at work. I am creating and shaping for the glory of God. I'm seeking to build relationships and connections and community like God would. And lastly, I recognize this is very challenging, and I'm clashing with powers, powers of evil. Have you found that out yet? Some say, oh, I know about the evil. Oh, yeah. Pastor Pete, you should see where I work. Oh. I mean, here's a list of some of the, you know, business, business and is it, difficult. It, it's, it's, it's hard. All businesses are hard. All work is hard. There's false advertising. There's sexual discrimination. There's nepotism. There's unfair pay. There's price fixing. There's lying. There's destructive products that are sold. There's insider trading. People get used. There's a thing called business bluffing. Some of you know it well. You make a killing at somebody else's expense. There's idolatry. You know you should pay a bill. You don't pay it. You let them sit on it. Your, your, your competitors are your enemies. You step on people to get where you got to go, and you lie on spreadsheets. It goes on all around us. But Paul says, I want you to understand this. He goes, no matter what your workplace is, you are fighting not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, verse 12. But your struggle is against rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. There is something demonic in all structures. It's fallen. Christ is on the throne, but you are clashing with the powers of evil in your place of work. Think about it with me for a minute. Because you, you know, it's a powerful demonic enemy that wants to knock you down. That's, that's the image given in Ephesians 6. So, so, for example, if you work in the media... Okay, media is a source of great good, also great evil. Let's take the, you know, the educational system. Let's take the sanitation department. Let's take the police department. Let's take law. Let's take corporations. Let's take anytime you got money involved. All these things are potential for good. There's also potential for great evil. And so you, as you seek to be a, a vehicle or a vessel called, sent by God in that place, you end up clashing with the powers. It's inevitable. Listen, people say, oh, if I could just get out of my workplace, I'll go work for a new life. And there's no demonic powers there, you know, to work with. Well, let me tell you something. We just, we did a, we just did as a, as a staff team a strategic plan for two and a half days as to where we're going to go at New Life, what's God asking us to do in the next 12 to 18 months, 24 months. And uh, more than one church has been destroyed by the demonic, hasn't it? There's demonic powers everywhere on earth that we are clashing with as we're engaged in serving Christ full time, whether it's through lying or lack of, uh, you know, integrity. There's sin in every economic system. Socialism, communism, capitalism. You know, I'm glad I'm in a capitalistic society, but as you know, capitalism can become a greed, it can become idolatry, you can use people and stamp on them. Same with democracy. I mean, I love democracy. I'm not, I'm not looking to, you know, I, I mean, democracy, is, as Churchill said, he described democracy, democracy, he said, is the worst form of government, except all the others that have been tried from time to time. In other words, our, our systems of government that we enjoy, as well as economically, are imperfect and broken. But we're called to be in it and, and to bring a gift. But remember what Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you enter at work to serve Christ, you are going to end up with some resistance, Christ said. Every Christian will experience some resistance from the world. That's why most of us see conflict as a bad sign. Conflict, according to the Beatitudes, is one of the signs 
of the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? Now, I'm not talking about being, having conflict because you're obnoxious, because you say stupid things at inappropriate times. I'm talking about when we disrupt false peace, like the Beatitudes say, whether it's in your marriage, your workplace, because something's morally wrong or it's a lie. Again, whether it's politics, media, business, finance, the police department, school, teaching, as you engage truth, you clash with powers. Jesus says, you will get pushback and you will have conflict. And he goes, but thus, as you grow in Christ and you bring truth, uh, it's part of the way the kingdom of God comes. It's part of clashing with the powers is conflict. So, as Paul says to these Corinthian slaves, you know what? You are in full-time ministry. There is a slave in Corinth. You think your job's insignificant? It's filled with significance. In fact, he's given you the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, not simply to use a church, but also your workplace. I love this. You are entering God's um, work, his beautiful work of transforming creation, culture, community, and people. It's a lovely phrase. The Holy Spirit empowers us to actually do this. You can't do this on your own. That's why the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, that you can commune, create, build community, and actually clash with the powers and see God move. Let me close with this phrase. If Paul was writing this to business people today, this, this section, he might say something like this. Stay in your business and go deep. Your workstation, your office, your position will teach you everything and will be a means of growing in faith. Don't think that going into religious work will be a spiritual advantage. Your life is not a bundle of accidents. All the things that have led you to where you are right now, your birth, your education, your interests, your advantages, your opportunities, are all part of God's leading in your life. If you can get a better job, that fits in more with your passions and gifts and your temperament and that you'll enjoy, do it. If you want to get further training and go back to school, do it. When you have the opportunity to make money and create jobs for other people, don't think of yourself as second class. Paul would say, you are called to full-time ministry. Your life and your daily work are significant. In fact, where, wherever you find yourself right now, Paul would say, in your life, it's a holy place. And if you do it, not for yourself, but unto the Lord, your work will not be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So worship me. Yeah, come on forward here. Let's all stand. What I want to close you this morning is that to know God is to be inundated with the Spirit. Today, friends, is about a Copernican revolution. That this first commandment. A paradigm shift that you are called to full-time ministry, you're a full-time servant, and your life has enormous significance.